Tonight marks the end of an era. The 16-year signal caller for the New York football giants officially calls it a career. A two-time Super Bowl MVP, an underdog, a hero, an Iron Man, but most importantly, a professional class act. As we celebrate his illustrious career, we take a look back to the day Eli Manning was drafted by the San Diego Chargers and later traded that day to the New York football giants. The day was April 24, 2004. Over 5,700 days later, on this very day, January 24, 2020, Eli Manning retires a New York football giant. As Eli referenced earlier today, once a giant, only a giant. This is Review and Preview. This is Review and Preview on the wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Fonz DeFalco, Andrew Scarpacci, our guest joining us again for the third week in a row here in the studio. We are broadcasting tonight live at LIU Studios on liuwave.org. This will be our final show on the wave as we are moving to Facebook Live exclusive as of next week. A quick reminder, you can call in with your questions, thoughts, comments tonight at 516-299-2030. So feel free to call in. The lines are open. Take part in our live show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and you can hear our podcast at anchor.fm slash review and preview. Shout out again to Facebook Live. Thank you guys very much, Fonz. Welcome. Uh, it's great to be here behind the board. It's going to be a good one today. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you for having me on again. No problem. Anytime. Thank you for joining us. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I got to call you out because you predicted that the Packers would win the NFC Championship game over San Francisco 49ers by two-plus touchdowns. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yikes. Pretty much everything I predicted was right before the other team. I did say Devontae Adams would expose Richard Sherman. He did have over 100 yards and nine catches, one very great long catch, but as a whole, that did not happen. I said Blake Martinez and the linebacking core would expose their run game. That was the biggest mistake of it all. I said Aaron Rodgers would expose the secondary. Aaron Rodgers did have good cumulative stats, but had many mistakes, a few fumbles, a couple costly (laughs) interceptions. Tough. Uh, he did not have a great game as a whole. Richard Sherman with that one interception, also Mosley, and just uh, yeah, wasn't a great, was not a great game to watch as a Packers fan. <laughs> so before we jump any further, uh, yes, we're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers first. Then we'll talk about the AFC Championship game. Then we will preview the big game followed by the Pro Bowl. We'll talk about our team of the week. We will talk about Derek Jeter. A little bit of Eli Manning, of course. We'll sprinkle him on and off throughout the show tonight. Oh, yeah. Then after that, we'll talk some NBA news. We'll talk about the big games coming up this weekend, including Zion's debut last night. We'll go over the NBA All-Star voters. We'll talk some NCAA men's basketball, highlighted by the Silvio Sousa brawl back oh, yeah. on Tuesday night. Action-packed show today. It is. And then we will talk about the fight and then close out with Eli. And if... You folks on Facebook Live and the Wave are wondering why Fonz and I are wearing ties. Well, Fonz, you were the Week 10 loser. I was the Week 12 loser making up punishments. So it's ugly 
tie night yep. here in the studio. Rocking the ugly purple tie with the little, uh, <laughs> uh, well, pink tie, excuse me, with little purple dots, and I got it back in high school, and this is the second time I ever wore this in my life. So <laughs> uh, I don't even know what games I picked that week, but it's crazy. It's another trend. I got more to make up for. <laughs> back to wearing ties like we're in high school again. Crazy. Right. Uh, Andrew. Thank you for that teaser on the Packers. We will torture you more in just a, a few moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the 49ers surge past the Packers 37-20. This is the 49ers' first Super Bowl appearance since 2012. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go over the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, honestly, Andrew, he struggled when the game is on the line in big games. He is 1-3, lifetime in the NFC Championship game with six touchdowns and seven interceptions in his career. Uh, why has he struggled so much in this game throughout his career? It's As a whole, he's always had great seasons, double-digit wins all the time. And on the season, only four interceptions and now two in the NFC Championship game. And he's not one to throw interceptions. He has the best touchdown-to-interception inter- ratio of all time in the regular season. But he's has a negative touchdown-to-interception ratio in his four attempts in the NFC Championship game on top of costly other mistakes, on top of the um, the, the fumble under center. That's something you never see in the NFL. So it just happens that there was a lot of mistakes that you did not expect coming out of this game. That's a great point. But he did pass Brett Favre for the most touchdown passes in Green Bay Packers playoff history. Rodgers' stat line in this game, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, He had two touchdowns, but he also had two picks. 31 of 39, 326 yards, three fumbles. So it's five times he coughed up the football, three times he turned it over because he lost one of the three fumbles. Aaron Jones, who, quite frankly, he's been the catalyst for the Screen Bay offense this yeah. season. He was fantastic last week, but what did San Francisco do to him this week, Andrew, that didn't allow him to have a good game because 12 carries, 56 yards, and one touchdown, that's tough. I mean, I don't know if he had one through the air too, but San Francisco contained him pretty well. They have a great front seven. They're just, they're just so ver- they're so versatile up there, and they were able to stop that rushing game and then make Aaron Rodgers, and then have Aaron Rodgers make some costly mistakes. And Fonz, here's the thing too: San Francisco got so far ahead. Maybe that's why Jones only carried the ball twelve times. Yeah, that makes that it would make a lot of sense. Uh, but I mean, you can also factor Jones is also a factor in the passing game too. He is. Uh, and I think he, I don't even know how many t- receiving touchdowns he's had, but he's he's up there too because. Outside of Devontae Adams, who else has he really thrown to? It's basically been Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Jones, He, uh, I believe he led in total touchdowns for all running backs. Yeah, both Yeah, both r- rushing and receiving. Yeah. yeah, He had, I believe, over 20 on the year. He did. Devontae Adams also threw the air in this game, had nine catches, 138 yards. Uh, Sternberger had the one touchdown late, and then Jimmy Graham, four catches, 59 yards. So, you know, Rodgers had the weapons, just San Francisco was a more complete team this season. Uh, And Jimmy Garoppolo did not have the prettiest game on the stat line. But, you know, it was funny because San Francisco scored 20 points in the second quarter. They are up, what, 27-0 at halftime? That's rough. Packers tried their best to get back into it. They did. They outscored the 49ers 13-3 in the fourth quarter, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah, it's too little, too little, too late. I would say for that situation, too little, too late. That is correct. And Jimmy Garoppolo threw for only seventy-seven yards in this game, and Raheem Mostert was great. Yeah. Four touchdowns. Shanahan's notorious for going with a hot hand, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, he went with a hot hand in this game. Good story Mostert. for Mostert. Cut by seven teams, never had a carry until before joining the Forty ers I mean, you never know what the Forty ers offense. The 49ers scored 20 points all in the second quarter. That was where they took the jump and where they just never 
where they'd never looked back. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, only eight pass attempts, but he completed six of them for 77 yards. Roheem Moster, 29 attempts for 220 yards and four touchdowns. I believe they said that was a postseason record for touchdown for uh, rushing touchdowns. And then Samuel, two receptions for 46 yards. George Kittle, only one reception for 19 yards. He did draw that big penalty on third and three, which pretty much ended the game for the Packers. And the 49ers only had 69 passing yards, but as a total, 285 rushing yards. Richard Sherman and Mosley with one interception each. And uh, Williams with a sack and... Amir Armstead with a, with a sack and Bosa also with one sack. So thank you for running down those stats. Now, before we dive any further into this, you know, I got to tell you, Aaron Jones was held to 56 yards on the ground, which that was not the case against the Seattle Seahawks. You finally ran into a good defense, and they did get the best of you, although I will admit it was a valiant effort after, wasn't Green Bay down like 20 20, nothing? 27 27 nothing. nothing. A lot of people were saying at least they knew they would have gotten a competitive game with the Seahawks. But, I mean, it's tough because Rodgers lost three fumbles in this game. He just, for some odd reason, he doesn't show up in NFC Championship games. He's only done it once in four that he's appeared in. I'll never understand it. Um, it's a shame. And, you know, quite frankly, Jones had two touchdowns. Sternberger had the other. Adams had a great game, but the Packers only showed up and when their backs were against the wall in the fourth quarter. You can't expect to play a quarter, quarter and a half, and beat the San Francisco 49ers, the most complete team in the NFL this year, Yeah, little, in my opinion. Yeah, too little, too late for them. Like, yeah. you, know, you can't go off on a slow start, especially against a team like the 49ers have been consistent beginning to end all season. I'd agree. And also, keep in mind that the 49ers, they scored 20 points in the second quarter. Mostert had four rushing touchdowns on the ground. Uh, it was just fantastic to see what he was able to do on the ground in this game. Jimmy Garoppolo only had to throw the ball eight times. This goes to show you, you know, it's great to see the running game coming back in the NFL. It really is. I'm really happy to see it. That's how the Titans got to where they got this year. Yeah. Um, and looking at these stats now, we see just the 69 passing yards, but the 285 rushing yards, it goes to show you Green Bay, Preston Smith, Zadarius, I mean, these guys just weren't able to get the job done. Lancaster, Lowry in mm-hmm. the trenches there. San Francisco, their offensive line is fantastic. They're just too good. That's one of the offensive lines we don't really talk about as far as, like, we always say the Cowboys offensive line, you know, the Eagles when they're healthy, Ravens too, but no one really mentions – like the two tackles in McGlinchey and Joe Staley, like one of the consistent offensive lines all season in the 49ers. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, McGlinchey and Staley, yeah. I mean, Staley's been around forever. It's great to see him finally yeah. get back to a Super Bowl. Yeah, this is actually, he's the only member, I believe, that's still on that Super Bowl that they went against the that Ravens. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. He's the only remaining player throughout the entire roster, so good to see him back there. And Rodgers also had the two picks in this game, to Sherman and Mosley. And it's great to see Richard Sherman after getting released by Seattle a couple of years ago to be back and in the Super Bowl. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that could have made the storyline better for Sherman was if he beat uh, the Seahawks in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 49ers were all over Green Bay's O-line. Kawan Williams, Armstead, Bosa, all getting sacks in this game. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I've got to ask you, did the Packers even put up 
as good of a fight as the Vikings did? I I would say they definitely gave a a good attempt as they were able to hold their own and out. It, it they did beat them in garbage time towards the end, but I don't want to say that was their only story. It was just they just couldn't stop the run. When you can't stop the run, it just makes you're too easy of a team to beat. Like every single play, it's like okay, now they're no they know what they're gonna do, and they just kept running every time. You knew he was coming at him, and their defense just kept tiring out. The offense after going three and outs multiple times, that they their defense just was just too tired to do anything. I agree, um, and it just wasn't a good game overall uh, for Green Bay. George Kittle only had one catch, but San Francisco was still dominant. And now I'll give you some fun facts. Oh, on a fun fact Friday. For the 49ers, yeah. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns back in 2015 when they elected to start Johnny Manziel. Yep. Stepped down and left the team because he did not agree with that decision. Yep. He ended up being right there. And his, his dad played a big part in that. And now this is the first father-son combo we've ever seen to coach in a Super Bowl. Yep. First father and son to coach for their respective teams in Super Bowls, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, I've got to tell you, this kid's young. He's only 40 years old. And fun fact about Shanahan as well, he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons in the Super Bowl that they were up 28-3 to against the New England Patriots. Crazy. Impressive resume, and now he's putting it all together. And another fun fact, the 49ers won just four games last year. 49ers are only the third team ever to reach a Super Bowl after winning four or fewer games the prior season. They joined the 1999 Bengals and the 1999 Rams. Sorry, 1988 Bengals, 1999 Rams. Boomer Esiason and Kurt Warner were the quarterbacks for their teams. Also, another interesting dynamic that plays into this, Katie Sowers, the first female coach to ever reach a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. Fe- first female ever mm-hmm. as an assistant coach, which is great. Um, great. Love to see it. So that'll be very interesting to watch. Um, any final thoughts on these Packers and 49ers? Well, I think with the 49ers, it's like with three running backs that you didn't think like are like star caliber running backs. I mean, Raheem Mostert one week, and then during the season you saw Matt Burita one week, and then Tevin Coleman another week too. So it's kind of crazy where sometimes you really don't need the star power running back. It's just if you have three consistent guys that you never know who's going to show up that week. So it'll be kind of yeah. interesting to see. Uh, and when it comes to Super Bowl, we'll talk about it next week, like which running back will step up in this situation. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Fine. Or will it be the passing game this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, true, because they also have a lot of receivers that not not a lot of star talent receivers. I mean, you could say with Emmanuel Sanders, but it's just crazy. Like They're all consistent when they're playing together. All right, guys, so good first segment. Uh, before – Let's preview the AFC Championship game before we talk about it, which we're going to talk about next segment. The Chiefs did beat the Titans 35-24 to and advance to their first yes. Super Bowl <laughs> since 1969. Now, Fonz, you got this game right. Yeah. The jinx is finally over. Thank God. As a little <laughs> teaser into this next segment, the Titans are no longer in the mix. <laughs> Find out what we think about this game when we return here on Review and Preview on LIU Wave. All right, guys, welcome back to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Fonz DeFalco and Andrew Scarpacci here in the studio. Reminder, you can listen to our show tonight here on The Wave. That is the sound of LIU. This will be our last show on The Wave before we go Facebook Live exclusive. 
A reminder, you can call in with your questions, thoughts, comments on 516-299-2030 to take part in our live show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Again, these ties, a segment down, only seven more to go, Fawn. So oh, no. we'll, uh, we'll be sure to uh, absorb our punishment as well as we can. Also Ugly tie start. night yeah. here at LIU Studios. So the Chiefs survived the Titans 35-24. to Derrick Henry, 1,273 rushing yards in his last eight games. That was the most rushing yards in any eight-game span in NFL history. Fun fact for you. Now... Let's talk about this. Dennis Kelly, yeah. the heaviest player in NFL history to catch a playoff touchdown at 321 pounds. This is a man that is used as the Titans' sixth offensive lineman. <laughs> so he's not in the game that much. He's usually in there to block for Henry. Because mm-hmm. to my knowledge, I don't think the Titans have a fullback on their roster. I think they I mean, just use extra linemen. And uh, Fonz, as you take that call there, uh, we'll keep highlighting this here. So, this game, the Tennessee jumped out to a 10-0 start, Andrew, right? So, this was, it seemed like the story was going to continue that the Titans would just surprise everybody, play the underdog role, and roll through. But Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs showed up in that second quarter. They took the lead going into halftime, and they did not turn back from there. Fonz, do we have a caller? Yes, we have uh, Gabe on the line. All right. What's up, guys? Gabe, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Just hanging in there. Uh, So, what is your question for us here in the studio? All right. So, Jimmy G just had one of the most underwhelming games, all right? Eight pass attempts, 77 yards, and 49ers win super convincingly. So, what kind of game do you think Jimmy G has to have in the Super Bowl? For the 49ers to have an opportunity to win. Well, the thing is, Gabe, I'm glad you brought up that question because the Packers, on paper, as Andrew here is in the studio, they have a very dynamic offense, but not like the Chiefs. The Chiefs arguably had the best offense in the NFL the second half of the season, passing-wise. And I think the 49ers' defense, when the best defense plays against the best offense – The best defense usually has the edge. But I think Jimmy G is going to have to throw for at least 250, maybe even 300 yards in this game for the 49ers to win. Because Spags is going to focus on stopping the run and sending blitz packages where the 49ers are going to have to jump out of their old-school playbook a little bit. And I think Jimmy G is going to have a lot more pressure on his shoulders. because the Chiefs do have some elite pass rushers on that squad. You know, Frank Clark, Capasayon. I mean, these are just a couple guys to name. But overall, I think the Chiefs, their defense is what has elevated them to the Super Bowl, and that's going to present the challenge for Jimmy G. Well, I totally agree with that. Um, and what I noticed in the Viking game and the Packer game was that Garoppolo doesn't need to be in the pocket for very long because they get four yards, five yards, first and second down. If they get third and short, it's seemingly like in basketball, they pick their spots on the court. It's like they get to that third and two at will. So just for Garoppolo, I mean, a pass rush of the Packers, they have one of the best duos, and so do the Vikings in pass rushing. But it doesn't matter when it's a third and two situation. 
So I think they're going to have to be so good this season on third down, second down, and force Jimmy Garoppolo to have to go to a third and ten. Because when I see Jimmy G in the pocket for long amounts of time, against the Vikings, I know he didn't have a ton of success. He did get sacked a couple of times and didn't look very comfortable. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. I think the problem that will present the San Francisco offensive line is those Chiefs pass rushers and Spagnuolo bringing in blitz packages. I know Daniel Sorensen's a wild card. That guy's like their dark horse on that defense. He yeah. makes great plays. All over the field, too. Puns, what's your take on Gabe's question there? Uh, no, I mean, I, I definitely would think, when you look at the Chiefs uh, defense, we said it uh, like the whole, the whole season that, you know, it's all about the offense with Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and all that, but then this the Chiefs defense really has been stepping up a, a lot with guys like Frank Clark. Tyron Matthew was a huge signing uh, for them. So I think the Chiefs need to get after the 49ers early because, like I said uh, last segment, you don't know what's going to happen with the 49ers. They could run one week with Raheem Mostert, example. Uh, you can also – Emmanuel Sanders can come out of nowhere. So And even George Kittle. I mean, he had one catch last week. Super Bowl, he could have like 10 catches. You never know. So he, you got to expect the unexpected, I think when yeah. it comes with the, with Kansas City matching up against the Niners. I think it would be a very high-scoring game because I think the 49ers' rushing game will be much better than the Chiefs' defense, but I think the Chiefs' passing offense will extremely outperform the 49ers' rushing offense to the point of the 49ers' secondary. They're just not going to... I thought it was going to be the same case with Aaron Rodgers, but I think right now Pat Mahomes is in a better situation than Aaron Rodgers to just completely take over. That's a great point. Uh, Gabe, do you have any more questions for us? Yeah, just one, on the other side of the ball, Pat, we're talking about Pat Mahomes. If he doesn't have – like, I feel like if he doesn't have success in the deep passing game where he's making those big plays, I don't know if he could drive down the field methodically against that 49er defense. Is he going to need that deep passing game with Tyreek Hill to, to win that game, this game? I do. I think he's going to present a challenge to Richard Sherman because of how fast he is. Uh, realistically, I don't think the Chiefs will have much of a running game in this game where they make the Chiefs' offense one-dimensional. I think what happens is you bring up a good point. The 49ers are probably going to jump to an early lead, and that's going to force the Chiefs and Mahomes to come from behind. This has a similar feel to, uh, to be honest with you, this could be a New England-Atlanta type of Super Bowl. Not saying the score will be, but the certain type of play that we saw early on in that game on New England's side of the ball defensively. This is something that could also turn into, like, uh, a very low-scoring first half, and San Francisco's offense will have to keep Pat Mahomes off the field because Pat Mahomes can turn on a switch at any time. Mm -hmm. He can be playing very poorly for nearly three-quarters of the game. He can catch up single-handedly in the fourth quarter. So, Gabe, I think Pat Mahomes is going to have to have the performance of his career in order to stop this 49ers defense because this is an unfamiliar territory for him. The 49ers defense is, I mean, they're experienced. They have Richard Sherman. They have Fred Warner. They have the Forrest Buckner, Arik Armstead. They have a good mix of veteran and young guys that are going to present challenges yeah. for Mahomes. And I think this could be an issue. You take away Travis Kelsey, who I think is the X factor in this game. Because Sherman and Hill will probably go back and forth the whole game. Mm -hmm. I think the real X factor for 49ers is to stop Travis Kelsey. If you take Travis Kelsey away yeah. from Mahomes, he has that much more tough of a time delivering the ball to Tyreek Hill and trying to get him in open space. One last question I got. Sure. Who do you think the MVP is going to be? 
I got the the Vegas odds has Harrison Butker plus ten thousand. I say that's a good bet. I heard about that. Um, also, <laughs> Gabe, you're thinking the Chiefs pull this out? I think they do. I really do. I yeah. think the special teams they have. I think they have the uh, edge at kicker, and I think just interesting. Mahomes being he he's ready for this. Jimmy G. I don't think has the momentum that that Mahomes has and. The 49ers, they've gone up every game early. If that doesn't happen, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in Jimmy G to bring him back. I, I really don't. I think the problem is if San Francisco falls behind, you're right. They don't have the offense that is able to climb back from a 20-point deficit like the Chiefs were able to do on divisional weekend and to come down from 10 nothing in the conference championship game. Uh, Gabe, I actually have a question for you here before we let you go. Do you think the Packers or the or your Minnesota Vikings put up a better fight against oh. the 49ers in these playoffs? Oh, oh no. Put your seatbelts on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Honestly, they, it was both just disgustingly bad. Uh, <laughs> I think both teams didn't even – they didn't even show up, it seemed like. But I think, honestly, I think the fact that the Vikings only put up – seven first downs in the whole game. Mm-hmm. I think you got I honestly I, I give it to the Packers. I think the Vikings were so bad. It was, it was I I almost turned it off uh, in the third quarter. It was that bad. The Packers they just they did things that you've never seen before at the NFL level like dropping a snap from center or um they're <laughs> just the little things that like you've just never seen that completely just transition the game. It's like it was just unbelievable to watch, and mm-hmm. especially in the, in a playoff championship game. So, I mean, I, I don't know, necessarily know who to say who did better against the 49ers, but the Vikings, I think, were they were shut down more at their own level, while the Packers, they just made mistakes that you've never seen before and that you couldn't really account for. Of course, yeah. Well, Gabe, thank you very much for calling in tonight. Uh, we appreciate it. We hope everything's well up at Albany. Last semester now, right? Yeah, last semester. Appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thank you very much, Gabe. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. That was Gabe from Orange County, New York, the sports director up at the University of Albany. Yep. So Vikings fan, too. Great to have him. <laughs> great to have him on the line. Uh, we're going to spend the last five minutes of this segment breaking down this Chiefs-Titans game. Tannehill, 21-31, barely over 200 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he had a good game. I think he proved that he deserves to, at the very least, be franchise tag next yeah. season. It, 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 I think they're already in talks of doing that. I think that's going to be the plan for them uh, to give him another year and see how he does uh, in the offense. Yeah. What do you think, Andrew? Think Tannehill's back? I definitely do think so because the first two games, he didn't really have to do that much because Derrick Henry took took all the load. But when you see Derrick Henry get shut down just a bit, he did pull through and do what he had to do. He, they scored 24 points when Derrick Henry did not did not do half as much as he did the past two weeks. So you can't really say, well, Tannehill didn't have two first good games. Well, he didn't have to. He did what he had to do. And then the last game, he did everything he had to do to give them a shot. Right. Derrick Henry on the ground was held to just 69 yards. Yeah. Excellent job by the Chiefs front. That's what they needed to do. Kitchens. Yeah, that's what. Was great. That's what uh, the Patriots didn't do. That's what the Ravens didn't do. The Chiefs learned. And it worked for them. Just stop Derrick Henry, and that's what happened. I had a feeling Kansas City was going to win this game because Baltimore and New England do not have good passing offenses. 
Yeah. They're they're not they're not great. I, I will admit that as a Ravens fan that that's and the Chiefs too. That yeah. was the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will admit that that the passing offense has been a problem for them. It, yeah, I mean, because to be honest with you, their best pass rusher in Tennessee is Correa. Correa and maybe Jarrell Casey. I would say more Jarrell Casey, but Correa yeah. is pretty good too. Um, he I think he had the only sack for them in that game. But uh, look, Corey Davis. A.J. Brown, Jonu Smith, all mediocre stat lines. Adam Humphreys was questionable coming into this game. They got four catches out of him, mm-hmm. which is okay. Uh, but, look, the Titans as a team only had 85 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. They're only going to win when they're able to dominate time of possession and keep Pat Mahomes off the field. Mm-hmm. They did that really well through the first quarter and a half. But once Mahomes got it going, there was no stopping that man. Yeah. Sammy Watkins, he just showed he he's ready to move up the scale and show how great of an uh, NFL wide receiver he is. He's always had injury problems. When he's on the field, he's always been a great player, but I feel like he hasn't been talked about that a lot in the past five years. But he showed seven receptions and 114 yards with a touchdown. He showed he's ready to take the next big step. I, I completely agree with you, and it was important that he did that because Damian Williams was held just 45 yards. I know he had a touchdown, but it was really Mahomes and Watkins that were the offense. I know Tyreek Hill had the two touchdowns yeah. and five catches, but Sammy Watkins was the catalyst in this game. He was the X factor for them. Because Travis Kelsey was held to three catches, three yeah. catches for 30 yards. Mm-hmm. That was the diagnosis the Titans wanted. They wanted to diagnose where Kelsey was on the field because mm-hmm. Kelsey is a chain killer. He is the guy that Mahomes will look to get the ball to on third down. Yeah. That's his guy. Tyreek Hill is a guy you expect for a big play yeah. or a screen and mm-hmm. try to outrun everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Hill's hands are the best. Yeah. They're, they're better than when he started in the league. Yeah, it's, he's improved a lot since coming into the league. But, guys, the Chiefs had over 400 yards of total offense. Yeah. Which, that's not as many as they had the previous weekend against Houston. But let me tell you something. Pat Mahomes, first of the new generation of quarterbacks to make a Super Bowl, uh, 294 passing yards, three combined touchdowns, two through the air, one on the ground, and he was the Chiefs' leading rusher in this game. Keep that in mind as well. Uh, which there's a good chance he could also be the Chiefs' leading rusher in the Super Bowl uh, in, the, in the big game as well. So that's something to keep in mind. He almost had as many rushing yards as Derrick Henry. Imagine if I made the same prediction again. Correct. <laughs> Patrick Doan had two sacks in this game, too, a no-name guy that nobody really heard of before this season. Travis Kelsey and Kittle both stopped this past weekend, so now it's will either of them break out in the big game or will – both defenses be able to stop them exactly. if, like they both did the last two games. Uh, now, I'll ask you guys this before we go to break. I'll, I'll leave everybody with this. Defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo. He's been a defensive coordinator, coordinator in the big game twice now, both times with the Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he the reason why this Chiefs defense turned around? Is he the main reason? Now, of course, when you look at it, of course, it's a combination of things. It's the addition of Terrell Suggs was great. Yeah. Getting guys back healthy. The signing of Terran Matthew this offseason was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I really think Spags elevated this defense to a new level, and it's the way he puts blitzes in disguise mm-hmm. to confuse quarterbacks is something that your average defensive coordinator cannot do, and you know it best because he's a former Ravens DC. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think it definitely was a huge, uh, huge part of it, uh, but also bringing guys like Matthew – uh, Chris Jones being healthy, getting Terrell Suggs from the waiver wire, and then trading for Frank Clark. But Spagnola has been around for a long time, former Ravens guy, uh, two times with the Giants, so he knows how to build a championship-level defense. So I definitely think he is a, a huge reason for how the Chiefs have turned things around because, remember, the beginning of the year, what did we say with the Chiefs? The offense is really good. 
that defense is slacking a little bit. How can they do? How can they fare well when it comes to December, January football? Exactly. Uh, Andrew, you have a, you have a take on that? Well, you see, Pat Mahomes, he can do absolutely everything. So maybe if you look at it from the other way around, maybe during practice, how do we stop Pat Mahomes? If we can stop Pat Mahomes, we can stop everyone. That's see what point. he can't do or against their own defense in the practice squad or whatever. And then when you stop, when you see what he can't do, then then you can put that into the game. That's and a good point. Uh, on that note, we'll get back to that in just a minute, but we're going to step aside for a quick break. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good evening, and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside Fonz DeFalco and Andrew Scarpacci here in the at LIU Studios. You can tune in to our show here tonight on liuwave.org, or you can watch us on Facebook Live. Next week, we will be just Facebook Live exclusive. We are moving off the wave as um, we say farewell to them tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, another transition to the show. A quick reminder, if you'd like to call in, our phone line is 516-299-2030. You can take part in our live show. And also, Fonz, uh, it looks like we have a quick issue on Spotify. I think what we're going to do is we're going to upload the music through Wavecart. Yeah. So we'll just I think I might have uh, figured it out, too. Spice. I think I might have figured it out, too. There's a little bit of a glitch in the system, but yeah. I think we're, we're good, though. We're good, everybody. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye out on that for the next break. So we're going to preview the big game a little bit and talk about the Pro Bowl. So the 49ers against the Chiefs. Kansas City this week opened up as a one-point favorite. Gabe brought up a good point that Harrison Bucker – is the odds-on favorite to win the MVP award. Fun fact. Andrew, I'm going to bring this up to you. Mahomes is the first quarterback in NFL history to win an NFL MVP and make it to the big game in his first three seasons. Technically, it's his second season starting because his first year was a redshirt year behind Alex Smith. Mm -hmm. Now, he joins Kurt Warner and Dan Marino as one of only three quarterbacks to accomplish that feat. Thoughts? He's. I think he's definitely going to be the face of the NFL. He probably already is to an extent, but once all these big-name quarterbacks like Breeze, Brady, Rodgers, once they fade out, he's going to be by far the face of the NFL. And there's just nothing he can't do. He, re he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers in just the way he does things, the way he can throw the ball short, throw the ball deep, run out of the pocket, run, just run downfield if need be. There's just nothing he can't do, and he's just that kind of quarterback that just does it all. Here's my problem. Mahomes is not the most skilled quarterback that we've ever seen, especially when he's only been in the league as a starter for two years. You can argue that he's the most athletic, but when you talk about skill, it's not just athleticism and the throws that you can make. It's also the intellectuals that factor into the game. That's also a part of skill that people forget. Tom Brady is the most skilled quarterback ever, in my opinion, ever. And I don't think there's anybody that can top that. I don't see Mahomes winning six rings. I don't see it happening. I don't care how athletic the guy is. I don't think we're going to see another Brady. I know this is coming from a Giants fan. And yeah. I think there's a lot of hate that's strictly geared towards New England and Tom Brady. And there's no reasoning behind it because even with this cheating and stuff, they don't need to do it. They're just that good. They're the best franchise in NFL history. I mean... Look, they've created a dynasty these last 20 years. Whether us New Yorkers like it or not, you have to appreciate the greatness that they've been able to accomplish. Pat Mahomes could be the closest thing we've seen to Tom Brady, but I don't think he will ever elevate above Tom Brady because, I mean, 
look, Mahomes has given us no evidence yet to think that he's better than Brady. Mm -hmm. He's also given us no evidence to say that he isn't. And what I mean by that is that it's too early to make a judgment on this guy. A lot of fans and a lot of people are coming out and saying, this guy is the most skilled quarterback we've ever seen. I'm going to be honest with you. You can make the argument that Lamar is more athletic than Pat Mahomes. Oh, I mean, no doubt. I might be a little biased here, but yeah, I definitely would agree with you. I'll be honest. Maybe he's not the better passer. Yeah. But I think Lamar is the best athlete currently in the NFL. Yeah, and he's improved. Lamar improved his passing from year one to year two. I mean, who knows what could happen in year Look, three. I might be in the minority, but guys, stop hating on New England. They are the best team ever in sports. They're, I mean, they have the mastermind head coach, the mastermind quarterback. I'm not trying to make this segment about the Patriots here, guys, but it's true. But glad to see the Chiefs in the, in the Super Bowl this year. No more about New England. Let's focus on the Chiefs. I think if you give Pat Mahomes... Um, a coach like Belichick, a defense like the Patriots had, a line like the Patriots had, I do think you can see him win six rings. Because I, I, I'm not going to say he's better than Brady. There are two completely different kind of quarterbacks. But I'm making the comparison to Aaron Rodgers because I've watched a lot of Rodgers, and I think it, they are the same kind of player mm-hmm. that can just take over a game in any way possible. Right. Tom Brady does rely on his line and his coach to kind of get him through it. I don't. I'm, I'm not taking anything against Brady there. But I just think there's things Pat Mahomes can do that Brady can't. And I think we're going to see well, that as as Mahomes improves, as he improves and develops mentally and physically. So to slightly disagree with your take there, Andrew, Mahomes also has a fantastic offensive line and a fantastic head coach in Andy Reid. I understand Andy Reid doesn't have as many Super Bowl rings, but the guy's a winner. And Mahomes has a lot of good offensive linemen up front. Brady this year did not. Brady, his two starting tackles were placed on IR early to midseason. His starting center was diagnosed with blood clots. He had no weapons around him. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to sit here and say Mahomes is great, but you haven't given – Mahomes has had talent the day since the day he's walked under center. Mm-hmm. So if we see Mahomes without that talent, can they still go 12-4? and four? We don't know yet. Right. We don't know. That's, we gotta wait. Maybe, maybe we might never see it. Yeah. Well, because we, we can only base off the because they're gonna that we try have. to they're gonna try to keep Tyree Kill around, keep Travis Kelsey around. I mean, you, the only thing you could say is, well, Pat Mahomes never really had. I mean, outside of Kareem Hunt, they haven't had a consistent running game. Right. You know, that's and also, where, can Mahomes be great for fifteen years? That's the thing. Because Brady was great for fifteen years. He still is great, but yeah. not to the level that he once was. Yeah. That's my question with Pat. Yeah. Um. It's kind of a waiting game, though. You got to see. Like, yeah, you right now, just kind of enjoy what he's doing now, and when it, maybe in a few years, if he wins the Super Bowl or not, you got to kind of have to wait with that one. But the Chiefs deserve to be in the big game because everybody was counting them out this year when they were six and four. They were losing games. If I'm not mistaken, their last loss was to the Titans in Tennessee, in Nashville, and then they just went on a tear. They they won six, seven straight into the playoffs, beat Houston. Beat the Titans, and now they're in the uh, they're in they're in the big game. Mm-hmm. They're in they're in the big game, and nobody deserves it more than Andy Reid. The second longest gap between Super Bowl appearances for a head coach. Fifteen years. He made it back when he was in Philadelphia with the Eagles back in two thousand four. The longest gap still exists, probably will always exist, is Dick Vermeil. Nineteen year drought is the only one longer than Andy Reid. Also. Andy Reid has 14 playoff wins in his career. That's the most 
by a head coach without winning a big game. Crazy. Yeah, it really so, is. Yeah, it's just something to really think about here. And also, the Chiefs have not played in a Super Bowl in 50 years to the date. 1969, the last time they made it to the big game. So the Chiefs fans deserve this as well. I, I They've definitely, gone through a lot. I They've definitely think so. Well, through a lot. You said 50 years more than deserve uh, this opportunity here. So let's go over our quick picks now that we have a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this because uh, we've been going, we've been getting the same records every single week. I know Andrew last week went 3-1. and one. But with our standings here, currently, Fonz, you went 1-1 one and one yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. You hit on the Chiefs. You missed on the Packers. Thank you, Andrew, for that one, trying to convince me. They're Vic of the Packers again. Me, Kyle, and James went clean sweep with Chiefs and the 49ers. Me, James, and Kyle now have 18 points. You have 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, each game picked correctly was worth five points. Correct. Now, for the big game in two weeks – or a week from Sunday, I should say. It's just nine days away now. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to pick the game. If you pick the game correctly, it's worth ten points. However, Ooh-hoo-hoo. there's going to be a tiebreaker to determine the winner and the loser of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. There's going to be one grand loser, so you will not be punished for being the Week 19 loser. I have a lot of other punishments to Week make Week 20 up. loser. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you do. I think you have three more after this. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> two or three. We'll see. Um, so... We are asking everybody to predict the total amount of points that you think will be scored mm-hmm. in 54. And not going over, correct? No, you or, can go over. Okay, okay, okay. You can go over. This will be used as a tiebreaker. For instance, uh, let's say there's a three-way tie. Yep. Whoever's closest will be the winner. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. whoever's closest altogether will also get 10 points. Let's just say – if you're closest to the score, you'll get the 10 points. Mm-hmm. But if it's not enough to beat me, James, and Kyle, let's just say, mm-hmm. like if you didn't pick the game right, it's basically yeah. saying if you didn't pick the game right but you're close to the total points, mm-hmm. then me, James, or Kyle, whoever's closest would be declared the winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that okay. makes sense. I get it. I get it. Um, so, yeah, whoever is closest to the total amount of points scored in the big game will be awarded an additional 10 points. However... There's always a catch. Whoever, whoever's number is the furthest away will lose 10 oh. points. Oh, man. Tom, what are you doing? <laughs> I am the mastermind. picking your brain cells by the second. You really are. I you want to do another tiebreaker? Uh, How about yeah. MVP? What we'll color is the Gatorade when it's poured on the winner? That's we'll a bet, too. It, that's actually a bet. Yeah, that is a bet. <laughs> I've seen more crazier bets than that, but hey. The col- the color of the Gatorade is my favorite, I would say, <laughs> for the big game bets. Of course. Now, we're going to transition into the Pro Bowl. Yeah. We still got football this weekend. We do. It is 3 p.m. on ESPN in Orlando, Florida. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. We always have a fun fact here. The AFC has won each of the three games that have been played at the Camping World Stadium mm-hmm. in Orlando. Yep. So, of course, we know the Ravens. Did they have twelve? They they have they had twelve, then thirteen, then Marcus Peters dropped oh, out because he had an injury. Damn. They had twelve, went down to eleven, then Orlando Brown replaced, I believe, 
one of the Chiefs tackles or somebody that was injured. I believe it was right. Trent Brown. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So now we got 12, 12 total Ravens. They're all playing. They're all playing in the Pro Bowl. Darn. I, and listen, I have to watch it because the Ravens are in it, right? I got to see what Lamar Jackson does in this exhibition game. Yeah. It, here's the thing with the Pro Bowl. I know we make jokes that it's like not, not like it's a joke. It's whatever, but. For me, Tom, I, I go into it like, as all right, it's not going to be serious. It's going to be a fun game, like just casual, just to have it on. It's at 3 o'clock. Watch these guys, like see some cool matches on the field, uh, see, some, see some teammates out there you never thought would play together. Just a fun exhibition game, nothing serious. If you go in thinking that, then you'll be fine. If you're going in like, oh, it's got to be a hard-nosed, low-scoring game, you're going to be miserable. So will just go you in, go in thinking that if the AFC wins, this will help heal your loss to the Titans in the playoffs? Partial. Uh, Partially, yes. Uh, if Lamar wins MVP also, that would help me a lot, too. But, no, I'm going in there. I'm going to enjoy watching it. I, I do. I, I still I still enjoy watching the Pro Bowl. There's a skills challenge. Uh, there was. It was yesterday. Jarvis Landry led the AFC to a Pro Bowl skills challenge win. <laughs> yeah, the Browns got a win. There's a 50-50 uh, raffle. There's also dodgeball. Yeah, there was, yeah. Which I think that's Sunday prior to the game, or is that Saturday? I, I believe- always forget. I believe the dodgeball already happened. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, they, they, the thing is, too, they got to fix that up, too. They got to make it like the NBA or NHL All-Star Weekend where they kind of promote all the events together because they kind of mm-hmm. just said, oh, yeah, here's the precision passing thing, like, in an hour. They promote it. Like, I feel like they should do a better job just promoting different skill events because back in the day, there was, like, the 40-yard dash tournament. Right. Uh, the kicking, like, horse style. Yep. Uh, the bent offensive lineman did a bench pressing competition. So it would be kind of cool if they kind of – Sprinkled in a couple of different events here just to make it fun to celebrate, you know, the all stars of the NFL. I agree, and have it in Hawaii. That's another yeah, thing. Too. That, that, that yeah, have it true. back in Hawaii. That's that's where it was fun too. So we're gonna step aside for a quick break, but when we come back, we will run down the Pro Bowl roster for each team, and then we will deliver our team of the week. You're listening to Review and Preview here on the Wave, the sound of LIU. This is Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. You know, I miss hearing Kyle Russo's voice sometimes. Yeah. Just sometimes. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside Andrew Scarpacci to my left, Fonz DeFalco to my right. Fonz, we are donning our ugly ties here tonight. You have a nice pink tie with some uh, blue circles. Yeah, I got this back in high school. I only wore it a couple times here and there. But when you said, all right, that's our punishment, making up for a tie, I'm like, yep. I got, one. I got one exactly for this occasion. And, yes, for the people watching here, it's a fancy little uh, pink or purplish tie with little blue dots on it. So Week 10 punishment. Also, happy early birthday. Oh, yeah, the big 2-5 big and T-minus one week. A week from tonight. Yeah, a week from tonight. <laughs> so we might be celebrating it here on the show. Oh, yeah. Let's get the streamers. We'll figure it out. If you don't go up to Bonaventure. Yeah, I'm still talking with a couple of my friends about that because it is uh, alumni weekend up there. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll okay. Get the, we'll get the balloons and everything. Well, Fonz, you know, uh, I still got six months before I hit that number. But, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. wearing my orange tie. So, uh, yeah, not, not, not too pretty either. Ugly tie night here in the studio. Reminder, you can listen to our show tonight on liuwave.org or watch us on Facebook Live. As of next week, we will be Facebook Live exclusive. You want to call in? Questions, thoughts, comments at our call number, 516-299-2030. Take part in our live show. Listen to our podcast if you can't catch us live tonight on anchor.fm slash review and preview. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, guys, so the Pro Bowl roster. Uh, We'll break down the AFC. On offense, 
at quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Deshaun Watson. And Ryan Tannehill. Replaces Patrick Mahomes. Replaces Patrick Mahomes. So, technically, the Titans are still in the mix. I somehow am going to imagine that Tannehill's <laughs> going to win MVP over Lamar, and it's just going to be it's just a sad, sad sports pro ball. I'll never watch it again, <laughs> then. Running back, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, and the fullback, Pat Ricard. Yep, I think they all no replacements there. It's kind of the same as, as, uh, as it was when it's announced. Pretty so, good. three Ravens already. Yeah? Oh, and yeah. We're, we're not even out of the backfield yet. Oh, yeah. Keep <laughs> keep them coming. Wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry, Tyreek Hill, replaced by DJ Chark. Mm-hmm. Cortland Sutton. They replaced Hopkins and Hill. Replaces the injured Hopkins. So no Ravens there. Makes uh, Yeah. I know. Tight end, Travis Kelsey, who is replaced by Jack Doyle. And Mark Andrews, yeah. that is four Ravens. Th- that was a weird one with Jack Doyle. I thought it'd be like the Ravens. Darren Waller would make it over Jack Doyle because Doyle the only Raiders, had four hundred. Yeah, Darren Waller was good. Doyle only had four hundred receiving yards. That's that's kind of where people make jokes at the promo, saying, "All right, come on, really?" At this point, <laughs> like this guy. So yeah. All right, so Ronnie Stanley, that's five. Lar- Laramie Tunsil, and then Trent Brown for the Raiders, who's going to be replaced by Orlando Brown. Five Ravens. It was a good season, man. Crazy. Oh, six Ravens. Sorry. Guard. Yanda. That's seven Ravens. Quentin Nelson from the Colts. David DeCastro from the Steelers. Replaced by Joel Betonio from the Browns. Center. Marquise Pouncey. Rodney Hudson. And Ryan Kelly, who replaces Pouncey. So mm-hmm. no Ravens there. We're at seven now, right? Yep. Okay. Let's go to the defense. Joey Bosa. Frank Clark, who will be replaced by Josh Allen, and then Melvin Ingram will replace Joey Bosa, mm-hmm. and then Calais Campbell from Jacksonville. Cameron Hayward, Chris Jones, who will be replaced by Jarrell Casey, and then Geno Atkins, Von Miller, TJ Watt, Matt Judon, an outside linebacker. Another Raven. Judon. Yes, that's eight. Interior linebacker, Darius Leonard. Dante Hightower, who will be replaced by Tremaine Edmonds. I like that. Edmonds is a very good player. So we're at eight Ravens. Stephon Gilmore, Tredavious White, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey. That's ten. But, yeah, with two but with... Joe Hayden will replace Peters. Yeah, because Peters uh, ended the season with a little bit of an injury, so it makes sense. Minka Fitzpatrick, Earl Thomas, 11 Ravens. <laughs> Jamal Adams from the Jets. Justin Tucker, 12 Ravens. Best kicker in the league. Morgan Cox, 13. Oh, my. You got the long snapper position, too. What the is The first going on? time ever, fun fact, the first, because they used to, long snappers were picked by the coaches. Oh. It's the first time ever that a fan voted for the long snappers. Funny. So, congratulations to Morgan Cox there. And then punter Brett Kern from the Titans, who threw a 28-yard pass on fourth <laughs> down last week. You might see that. You might Guys, see. I, I don't want to get back to the Chiefs and Titans game for too long here, but a brilliant play called by Mike Vrabel, who, quite frankly, looked like he was in la-la land in the fourth quarter with one eye open late in the game, playing dumb. A guy comes on late on the field. Remember that fourth down play? They're back inside their own 30. A guy comes out late on the field. They have like five seconds. They fake it, and Brett Kern throws a 28-yard pass. And then the Titans go down the field and drive and score. Nuts. Nicole Hardman replaced by Andre Roberts. Matthew Slater is the special teams. Let's go to the NFC now. Mm-hmm. Julio Jones, replaced by Devontae Adams. Mike Evans. Chris Godwin, replaced by Kenny Galladay. 
uh, and Amari Cooper, who's also re- replacing Mike Evans. So mm-hmm. it's going to be Amari Cooper. It's going to be Amari Cooper, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, Kenny Galladay. And Kenny Galladay. David Bakhtiari replaced by Lane Johnson, Tyron Smith, and Teron Armstead at tackle at guard, Zach Martin, Brandon Scherf, and Trey Turner, who will be replacing Brandon Brooks. At center, Jason Kelsey and Travis Frederick. Tight end, George Kittle, replaced by Austin Hooper, and then Zach Ertz. I think he's replaced too, Zach Ertz. I believe he's hurt also. Uh, as of right now, he's still in there. Hmm. Uh, I'd imagine, I'm not sure who the replacement would be. Yeah, I think. So we'll, uh, we'll see if that is a thing or not. Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, and Kirk Cousins replaces Aaron Rodgers due to an injury. Running back, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alvin Kamara, who I don't know how this you, man is in the Pro Bowl, replaces replaced, Christian McCaffrey. It should have been Aaron Jones. I'm Aaron with, Jones it should have been Aaron Jones. 16 touchdowns, multiple touchdowns in the playoffs. That's is, absurd. That's where, that's where also it's like, Ugh, come on. Disgusting. really. Like, there's, disgusting. there's a lot of Packers who should be in there that are not, and I, I, I don't even think that's biased. And to answer your uh, – Jared Cook replaced Zach Ertz in okay. the Pro Bowl. It says it right. I so was that, double-checking. That's just okay. Fullback, C.J. Ham replaces Kyle Juszczyk since Juszczyk is playing in the big game. Defense, Cameron Jordan and Danell Hunter replacing Nick Bosa, of course. Aaron Donald replaced by Kenny Clark from your Green Bay Packers. And Fletcher Cox and Grady Jarrett. Everson Griffin, too. I think that's that name on there, replacing Nick Bosa. Everson Griffin. Okay. Outside linebacker, Chandler Jones, Shaquille Barrett, Zadarius Smith from your Packers, and Zadarius Smith actually replacing Khalil Mack. So Chandler Jones, Zadarius Smith, and Shaq Barrett. I know there was a complaint from you last week that Zadarius Smith did not make the Pro Bowl. Well, now he's in. Or the All-Pro team, too. There was, a, Yeah, I was complaining about Blake Martinez, Zadarius Smith. Um, I did, so um, right now, it was orig- at the time, it was just Devon, David Bakhtiari and Aaron Rodgers. And I was saying Zer- Zadarius Smith and Blake Martinez definitely should be in it. And it's great that Zedaria Smith got put in. Kenny Clark, I'm actually a little bit surprised. He had a good year. I didn't really think he was Pro Bowl worthy, but I didn't really know too much about all the defensive tackles in the NFL. And then Devontae Adams, I didn't think would make it because he was hurt for a few games, but he showed in the games he played that he had almost as great communal stats as everybody else. I think that was it, too. Why, yes. (laughs) All right, so we'll get to the interior linebackers Eric Kendricks replacing Bobby Wagner due to an injury and Jalen Smith replacing Luke Keekley due to retirement yeah cornerbacks Jalen Ramsey Kyle Fuller who replaces the injured Ramsey actually Xavier Rhodes replaces Richard Sherman and <laughs> then Marshawn Lattimore which that that Rhodes one was a complete joke too because he was a joke of like yeah calling him burnt toast out there. He had zero interceptions, only 60 yeah. tackles. You're right. He replaces Richard Sherman. I thought Jai Alexander should have replaced uh, Richard Sherman in that, that situation. And you got yeah, Darius Slay is going to be at it. Shout out to the Lions. And then yeah, Lattimore's out, and he's replaced by Shaquille Griffin from the Seattle Seahawks. Yes. Kevin King also had five interceptions. I think he had a better year than Jair Alexander. And no one was talking about him all year. Yeah, everyone, everyone's talking Blake about him. Blake Martinez, le- he's leading the – if you also, take – Also, Darius Slay, we forgot about him. Yeah. Sorry. He's in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that's right. Blake Martinez is leading the NFL in tackles if you take regular season and postseason combined, and he's not there. Right. Well, I mean, hard to take it away from 
I'd say Jalen Smith, but maybe Eric Kendricks. That could be uh, a debate. At safety, Buda Baker from the Cardinals and Eddie Jackson from the Bears. And in my opinion, the best safety in football, Harrison Smith from the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think him and Jamal Adams, two best safeties in definitely, football. Definitely. Uh, kicker, Will Lutz from the Saints. Long snapper, Rick Lovato from the Philadelphia Eagles. Punter, Tress Way from the Washington Redskins. Good to see the Redskins get a, a guy in there. Yeah, they had two. <laughs> well, him and Scherf. Yeah, but Scherf yeah. is not playing, so the only right. the only Redskin representative is the punter. Return specialist, Deontay Harris for the Saints, representing Division II Assumption College, former mm-hmm. rival of LIU. Mm-hmm. Cordell Patterson from the Chicago Bears. So, the team with the most pro bowlers are the Baltimore Ravens with 13, followed by the Saints with 8, and then the Vikings with 8, the Chiefs, Cowboys have six, mm-hmm. as along with the Steelers, uh, and the Giants have none. The Giants and the Miami Dolphins are the only two teams with zero representatives, even after all the replacements. Because you think with the replacements, everybody would get one. Not even the Giants. Even the Cincinnati Bengals got a guy. Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins has been a consistent defensive The Bengals defensive won how many games? One. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, it's a shame. It's, mm. Do you think they should make it like the MLB All-Star game where everyone has to get at least one per- representative? Uh, I I would no, I wouldn't no I feel like it'd be a little bit more difficult with that too because the position because still. then you know, you're making it like a participation award yeah if a guy a guy should earn their right yeah. to the Pro Bowl if five guys from the Packers deserve to be in and no guys from the Giants deserve to be in yeah then so be it play better yeah I mean I'm a, I'm against right? that MLB thing where yeah. everybody has to have one anyway it, to begin with terrible. I kind of don't like you I don't see a guy like hitting 245 in there yeah, uh, yeah. for them, the worst team in the league yeah exactly no offense to the Orioles but I mean. Well, the Orioles had a pitcher this year. His name was John Means. No, I didn't know who he was until I saw him on the All-Star Game roster. Correct. <laughs> if you don't want it, you don't need it. <laughs> so it's that time for our Team of the Week. It's how this works. We each pick one team across the whole world of sports. And, Andrew, you are up first. I don't want to do it, but I, I got to give it to the 49ers. Oh! <laughs> I, I respect what they did. They they played hard. They showed they showed where the Packers had weaknesses, and they were able to just p- pounce on him with whatever they could. They they were able to get Aaron Rodgers to make mistakes that you never see him make. The run defense just was not there the entire time. They just they the Forty ers took their strengths to the Packers' weaknesses and just shoved it down him. Bonds. Yeah, actually, that, that 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 reaction was just you picking uh, the team that you were up against, man. I, that must be tough for the being a Packer fan. No, my team actually for the week is to be the L.A. Clippers and go to the NBA for a little bit. Uh, they went four and one this past week uh, with Kawhi Leonard leading the way. This was his stats for the four wins they had: 43, 32, 39, 36. I know we talk about his injury, man, uh, the load management, excuse me, but when he's on the court, there's no denying he's one of the best players. Uh, in the league and the Clippers, he's making them competitive. Something where we made jokes about the Clippers saying that no one knows about him because of the Lakers, but him and Paul George, they're making that team really good, and it's led by the way of Kawhi Leonard. So that's my team of the week. Shout out to the LA Clippers. I like that pick. Fun. My team of the week might be a surprise. Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. Got your team. Eight wins in a row. They won an NBA Paris today, a 3 p.m. game against the Charlotte Hornets, 116-103. to 103. The best record in the NBA at 40-6. and six. Mm-hmm. Cream City coming alive today. Giannis with 30. Eric Bledsoe with 20. George Hill with 16 off the bench. And I love the way this team shoots the three ball. 
except they didn't really show up today. They only shot at 28%, but <laughs> they shoot the ball at very high clip from, from the field. They shoot the rock at about 50 55% every game, and then they come out and they shoot around 40 45% from three. They have so many guys that can shoot threes. Middleton, now Giannis, Splash Mountain, Wesley Matthews, Bledsoe, DiVincenzo, George Hill, uh, Turkish Thunder, getting Ersan Ilyasova, Il- 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 mm-hmm. Pat Connaughton, Kyle Korver, Dragon Bender. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I forgot they had Dragon Bender. And let's not forget Giannis' little brother, Thanasis, although he's not a shooter. But that's my team of the week. Uh, they're 21-2 and two at home, but more importantly, they're 19-4 and four on the road. And they're number one in the NBA and in the East sitting pretty right now. The real question is, will they, will they be able to go up and fight off against you know teams they might meet in the playoffs like the Sixers or the Raptors or even the Miami Heat? So... Those are some questions for them. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break, our top of the hour break. We come back. We're going to talk about Derek Jeter, him making the Hall of Fame this week by a near-unanimous vote, and we will talk about the Mets finalizing a deal with new manager Luis Rojas. You're listening to Review Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Fonz DeFalco and Andrew Scarpacci here in the studio. No James Montefusco or Kyle Russo here tonight. Kyle will be back with us next week. Kyle Russo currently meeting Taco Fall tonight. <laughs> the legend. At Hofstra. Or at, um, uh, I think Nassau Coliseum. They're, Only they're for the Long Island. Game. The Long Island, Long Island, Island is the Nets main and, Red Claws, yeah, I and believe. Yes. Taco Fall made the All-Star game, which we'll talk about a little bit we'll later. Made the, made the final ballot for the fan bowl. Let's correct. not get ahead of ourselves here. New York Yankees legend at all-time great Derek Jeter, the shortstop number two, inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame with 99.7% of the vote. One person did not vote for this guy. I wonder who that one person was. Twitter is probably calling for his head. And so are you as a Yankee fan. Red Sox, somebody on the Red Sox, somebody. It's crazy because Mo got in with 100% of the vote last year, yeah. which is nuts. And people said Ken Griffey Jr. should have made it too at 100%. I believe it was two, three years ago. I'd agree. Um, Andrew, is Derek Jeter the greatest shortstop of all time? Definitely top five. He does have the highest war and the highest OPS of shortstops all time. But um, his defense definitely... I mean, he did have five gold gloves, but he there was also a lot of lacking shortstops when he was winning A-Rod moving over to third. But you can't take away from anything he's ever done. 346 out of 347 votes. One of two things, I believe. You claimed it could be a Red Sox. I think it's more possibly a Marlins person who's upset about it. Or it could be um, a Marlins person. Hmm. Joel Sherman made a good point of what it probably <laughs> is. Is uh, you made a good point with the Marlins one. Correct. I <laughs> there was you get up to ten votes, and there were a lot of first year um, people on the ballot this year, and you need five percent to stay on for the for next year. So Joel Sherman said this person probably wanted ten people, yeah, to stay above the five percent threshold to make sure they stay on the ballot, knowing Jeter would get, knowing Jeter would get in either way. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Now, is Jeter as great as Mo was in terms of a Yankee uniform? We're not sure, but we know that number two will easily be retired one day. Uh, Funds, we have a caller. Yes, we do. He is on now. Caller, please state your name and where you are from. This is Hank from Westchester. Hank, how's it going? Aren't you in the uh, 
tundra up in Oneonta right now? <laughs> yes, I am, but I'm ha- but I'm having a blast. All right. So, first question: um, Do you think Jeter deserves to be in the Hall of Fame with a unanimous vote? Honestly, yes. He's one of the best shortstop of all time, and his numbers speak for himself. He's made so many All Star appearances. He's won five gold gloves and five world championships. And he's a guy that's very well liked. And so I don't see why not, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. I think Jeter is well deserved. He ended his career in 2014. And he has pretty much been the face of this Yankees franchise uh, since the mid 90s. Uh, Hank, do you have any questions for us here in the studio? And um, I got to say, what, how do you, so first of all, let me just ask you this. Would you say that Eli Manning is the greatest Giants quarterback of them all? Eli Manning is the greatest Giants quarterback of all time. And you know what? Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I completely agree. Eli, if you really look beyond the numbers, this guy accomplished a lot for the Giants. And keep in mind, and I know you probably agree with, me, agree with me on this too, he didn't have as much talent wide receiver-wise as he did with later in his career. You know, there's some guy named Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> yeah. I, he, and with lesser talent, he won those two Super Bowls. And I'm sure you can agree with me. He probably should have had at least three. If only Flacco had left that gun at home. But. The Giants would have, I think, represented the NFC in 2008 if Flaxico did not shoot himself. That was the game the Giants were the number one seed. The year the Giants were the number one seed in the NFC, they started 11-1. and Flaxico shoots himself. They yeah, finished 12-4. I remember and four, that. And then the Giants go out one and done to the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round. They lose 23-11. to Fun fact, the only NFL game to ever end in a 23-11 to score. Oof. Uh, yes, Eli should, Eli should have at least been in three big games, in my opinion. Hall of Famer? E- yes. yes. Hank, what do you think about that? I is don't even Eli know why Hall this Famer? is a question. Like, Eli has done a lot in his career. He's one of the top ten leading leaders in passing yards. He won two Super Bowls. And let me remind you guys, he's one of only few quarterbacks that has won multiple MVPs. Of the Super Bowl, that is. Right. Oh, well, there's Bradshaw, there's Montana, there's... I uh, believe that's... Bradshaw. Brady, too. Montana. Oh, multiple, right? More than... Brady. Bart Starr. Bart Starr, Bart Starr. That's it. There's only four others. And Eli is the fifth. Uh, and, look, my thing to you is this. Carl Banks said it on first take today. Defenses feared Eli. You knew that he was smart. Mm-hmm. You knew that he was able to break down a defense. Eli made a Pro Bowl in 2015. That wasn't too long ago. Mm-hmm. And you look, the argument against him having a 500 career record, that wasn't him. Yeah, it wasn't all. It that wasn't. was the Giants. No, they surrounded Jerry him with Reed absolute garbage, garbage. Mm-hmm. Three and 13, four and 12, five and 11. I yeah. guarantee you, if Coughlin stayed, the Giant Eli would not finish with a 500 record. Yeah. The Giants have gone down these last few years, and they brought Eli down with him. Yeah. And that's what happened. He's a Hall of Famer, uh, no doubt. I mean, if 
Joe Namath can get in where he's had more interceptions than, than touchdowns, and the Eli Manning gets in no problem. I, yeah, I don't know why there's this whole argument here of, like, oh, should he be in the Hall of Fame, should he not be? It's because yeah, – go ahead. Seventh all-time in passing touchdowns. The only thing that you can maybe use against him is he's 45th all-time in passer rating. But passer rating, it is subjective in a way, but it's when he first started as quarterback, like roughly 15 years ago, nobody really talks about passer rating that much, so it wasn't something that you tried to keep up as much as you do now because now it's more of a a stat that is talked about more when analyzing current players. Same thing with like war in the MLB. But it's like in terms of cumulative stats, seventh all-time in passing touchdowns, two Super Bowls, he has an, a very impressive resume. I definitely think Hall of Fame worthy. I agree. Hank, do you have any other questions for us here tonight? Honestly, no. I pretty much wanted to talk about Eli and Jeter. These guys, in my honest opinion, are very similar to each other in that they were good leaders, good captains. They've won multiple championships in New York. And you know what? It's kind of fitting that we had the week that we had, knowing uh, paying tribute to these two. I uh, agree. How about you guys? Yeah. It's been it's been a crazy week. First Jeter, and yeah. now Eli. Uh, uh, well, Jeter's gone. been retired, but now you're starting to see a, a trend where Rivers is probably next, then Roethlisberger, then Breeze, and then Brady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you sit there and you're looking at it. Like Mahomes. That's it. Mahomes, Watson, those, Lamar. Now the young quarterbacks those are coming are up. Like, that's mm-hmm. left. You look at 2006, there's really nobody. 2007, I don't really yeah. think there's anyone left. The the oldest guy left after them is Aaron Rodgers, who was drafted in 2005. Yeah. He is yeah. after really Rodgers. Right. And then after Rodgers, you got Matt Ryan. That's crazy. Matt Ryan. Those will be the two the- oldest quarterbacks starting, at least, in the league after that 2004 class and prior mm-hmm. leaves. And by the way, I will say this, too. I think out of all the current New York athletes, the next one to get in the Hall of Fame, despite what I might have told you, Tom, about his contract, and don't get me wrong, I'm a Rangers fan here, oh. but I would say that Henrik Lundqvist is probably the next Hall of Famer of the current New York athletes. Would you Most likely. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, Hank, first of all, thank you very much for calling in tonight. We always love your takes on sports. Uh, we know you're <laughs> freezing up there in the, in the, in the tundra, so... I'll let you hey, go. And honestly, Hank, it's all good. I'm always happy to talk to you guys. This is a happy day for New York sports. It's something that you get to celebrate. It's something that you shouldn't be dwelling on for the rest of your yeah, life. You celebrate because guys move 100%. on. 100%. You celebrate now. I feel privileged just to right. watch those guys throughout my childhood and into my teens. Yeah, exactly. Hank, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next time. Tom, thank you for having me. Appreciate no it. Have a good one, guys. See ya. That was Henry Indictor. From Westchester, New York. Mm-hmm. Good from guy. The town of Chappaqua. Yeah, a little cold up there, just <laughs> went, a little bit. Went up to the uh, went to Sacred Heart, the same school as your buddy Matt Monaco. Oh yeah, shout out to Matt. <laughs> All right, so the Mets finalize a deal with Luis Rojas. The press conference was today at 3 p.m. He was the quality control coach for the team in 2019, so the players around him love him. But is he manager material? That's my question. Uh, I mean, you're in a situation here where your manager, who you just got, is now gone. You're scrambling to find someone. I, I told I told Andrew this last week. You can't go out to other teams and look for another manager this late into the offseason heading into the start of the season. You, Your best bet is to find someone within the clubhouse yeah. that players would like. 
and in, in the like you said, the players like Rojas, so stick with him for a year and then see what happens next offseason. That's true. It's your best case scenario right now. The problem I have is he worked under Mickey Calloway last year. He was second in command to Mickey Calloway. And everyone hated Mickey Calloway. <laughs> so if he worked in the same system, true. <laughs> what makes why would it be any different? I think the Mets took I I think I think it's a little bit the opposite. I think instead of getting someone like Showalter, the Mets took the easiest way out to just avoid controversy. Same thing that in in the same way they did in getting rid of Beltron. So I think they could have went out of their way and get someone that could be better instead of taking mediocre at best. Because I, I can't see someone who was the bench coach under a hated manager and being a great manager. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. This guy, Luis Rojas, literally started from the bottom. Twelve years ago, he was driving minor leaguers to and from the stadium in a van. Yeah. Now he's the manager of the New York Mets have every right to question this, but at the same time, I think it's definitely unforeseen how this is going to turn out because you really don't know until you get him in there. And to be honest with you, I don't agree with what some of the analysts are saying, but a lot of people are picking the Mets to win the division this season, which is a very tough division because Uh, a lot of people are saying they have the best bullpen in that division. Yeah, My take, my take, it's going to be the Braves, and then the Mets will finish second. Mm -hmm. Close. With Washington and Philly, it's a tight division. It's a tight it's division. So four teams are "quote unquote" in, in the, mix. the mix. Yeah, that's that's just that's just I just get a shirt that says "in the mix." That's really just yeah, what it is. You know, uh, yeah. You two are probably gonna hate me. I think the Mets are a fourth place team. Oh, I disagree. Oh, not I think not wrong. with their lineup. You give Come the Philly, you give the back. Phillies Girardi. You give him a team to work with. He's definitely better than Gabe Kapler. You give the Nationals a reigning World Series championship team. You have the Braves who, who are just getting. Rendon. Better and better every year. That's that's definitely true. At least uh, ten more players that they lost, and then you have um, they just it, it's going to be a tough division. I think. Well, I, don't get me wrong, it's not going to be a cakewalk. But I think the Mets have the drive and the, the determination where you can't count them out. And Bryce Harper is always going to be a curse on that Philadelphia team because he is an awful teammate. We've said this since. He like will I, stunt the growth of Reese Hoskins. We've said that since I first joined the show. <laughs> Literally. I think Joe Girardi I think Joe Girardi gets his, gets in his head and puts him in his place. I think he I don't think we'll Gabe Kapler had the ability to do that. I think Joe Girardi's a big enough name to where he can tell Bryce Harper off. Here's here's my problem with that. The Atlanta Braves are still the best team in that division. They are. Yeah. But who has the best starting rotation? The Mets or the Nationals? That's a fair argument. Yeah. That's a fair argument. So We'll talk about the Mets as we get closer to baseball season. Now, the question is, which direction do the Astros and the Red Sox go? Boston has been talking to former catcher Jason Baratek about their manager position, and that might be the way that they're headed. Yeah. Like you said, a familiarity with the organization. Yeah, this is the way you got to do it. It just makes sense to not lose ground, as where the Mets might be using Rojas as a bridge for a year to maybe go after a guy like A.J. Hinch next year. Could be the case. Depending on the job that Luis Rojas does, that might be a best-kept secret for the Mets to yeah. get Hinch in it a year or two um, when things have calmed down. Also, if you're Boston, I'd get Veritech. If you're the Astros, I don't know who you're going to get, yeah, right. <laughs> but do not sign Dusty Baker. I don't think Dusty will take a manager job because mm-hmm. his son is in his last year of college ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think Dusty 
will go anywhere. Yeah. I think ideally Buck Showalter would be a great hire mm-hmm. for Houston. We've been talks for like this whole time when we're looking for managers. Yeah. Like Which direction do we think these two clubs are going in? I think it's the end of the Astros dynasty. I think there's just been too much drama around the organization. You already see people wanting True. to leave. Garrett Cole left. The only ones who aren't going to leave are the ones front and center at, at the accusations, Bregman, Altuve, Springer. And those are the three that they have to keep. And other than that, I just don't – I think the A's win the division this year, honestly, by uh, by close to 10 games, I think. Wow. Interesting. So I just – I think the Astros are going to have a hard time rebuilding over the next few years. A lot of people are saying the MLB didn't do enough for their uh, – for their fines and stuff, $5 million and a couple draft picks, but I think the draft picks are going to have more of an impact than people think. The Red Sox, I do think they recover fairly easier than the Astros do. I don't think – I think in a couple years they'll be a competitive team. Okay. Sounds good. And we will talk about that more in the coming weeks. On that note, we're going to step aside for another break. When we come back, we have breaking news in from the NBA, so we'll talk a little bit about that. You're listening to 3 Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Now back to Review and Preview. I can hear you. Oh, yeah. And it's Scott Steiner. I had, Holla. I, I, I had Holla. To, I had to tell you, I'm like, listen, Tom, I'll cue you in. We have to get that part in to go, and it's perfect. I love putting these wrestling themes on here. I had to do it. <laughs> Old school for sure. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Fon Stefalco, Andrew Scarpacci here at LIU Studios on liuwave.org. 80 minutes down, 40 to go. Quick reminder, this is our last show on the wave tonight before we switch over to just Facebook Live exclusive. We'll be focusing more on that moving forward. Uh, big thank you to the wave for having us on for the past year and a half. It's been great, and we look forward to hopefully continuing to work with them in the future. Also, uh, a quick reminder, you can call in tonight with your questions, 516-299-2030, and take part in our live show. All right, guys, so, uh, of course, the Astros players will publicly apologize at the start of spring training for what went on, as we've heard, but now we'll transition into some NBA. The latest happened today. Golden State trades their center, Willie Cauley-Stein, to Dallas, and this is in lieu to the fact that Dwight Powell ruptured his right Achilles tendon. Yeah. What do we think? Good move? Uh, good I mean, I think it's good for them right now. I mean, it makes sense. Dwight Powell is one of their one of their uh, role guys off the bench. He's out now for the year. They kind of need some depth behind Porzingis. So, like you said, Tom is a, a piece of glass at this point. He gets injured all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein not a, hasn't lived up to the top ten pick that he's been when the Kings drafted him, but still a solid player. I think it looks like to be starting right now for a little bit and provide some minutes off the bench when needed. So I think it's a good move for them, especially given the scenario that the Mavericks are in. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good move for sure. Uh, Andrew, the other trade that happened this week, the Portland Trailblazers get Trevor Ariza, Caleb Swanigan, and Wayne Gabriel from the Sacramento Kings for Kent Bazemore and Anthony Tolliver. I love this move because Ariza's a vet, instant championship experience, instant defense, which is what the Blazers need. Yeah, the Blazers right now are sitting in the 10th seed. They have been pushing back and forth in the playoffs for a while, so they do need to make some radical moves just to get any sort of um, chance to get back in the playoff run. I'd agree with that. And, of course, Wednesday night, the anticipated NBA debut of Zion Williamson. Zion had 22 points in 18 minutes with seven rebounds and three assists on Wednesday against the Spurs. 
New Orleans did lose the game, but guys, Zion had 17 points in a three-minute span in the fourth quarter of this game. Oh my! Yeah, living up to that that hype. Remember, we were talking about you know, hey, listen, can he can he handle being on the court with the the size of him, and what can he do in the next level? And I mean, one game, yeah, one game sample size. I mean, that's a, that's one way to debut. They're playing the Pelicans at home tonight. They're down 68-60 to 60 at the moment, just underway in the second half. Zion, the leading scorer for the Pelicans, 13 points, 6 of 7 from the field with three rebounds, but just 1 of 4 from the free throw line. So something he's definitely going to have to work on. And the Pelicans and Alvin Gentry, they did pull Zion out late in the game. Was this the right move? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, you... It's in the middle of the season. Uh, you got to remember that he is supposed to – they want to be there for the long haul. They yeah. want to be there for – Of course. We'll say, you know, just ballpark of 10 years at least. You know, they want him to be around. They want him to be healthy, especially if he gets the early health scares already. You don't want him to get the derailment of his momentum going forward. So it, I may, it makes sense because let's be real, the Pelicans aren't really competing for the, the NBA trophy, the NBA Finals trophy now. As of now, I'm saying. So I just – Bring him in slowly. You jump him into the fire right away. He can get hurt right away, and then everyone's like, "Oh, this is what happened." Zion can't stay healthy. Labeling him a bust already. So I give him. A, I say it's the right call for now. Bonds. They are four games back of the eight seed. Yeah. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm telling you right now. Love Coach Pop. Love Coach Donovan. I'm not sure if either of those teams get in. Yeah. But Watch we- out for Portland. And New Orleans because Portland Portland is now gets getting Nurkic back. They're getting healthy now. Now and they get Zach Collins back in March. Yeah, and McCollum's With now Mello, Ariza. Yeah, McCollum is out. Yeah, well, so. now he's going to get it when he gets healthy. I mean, they are all getting healthy at the right time. Damian Lillard pulling up from like forty feet last night when we had our conference call. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, non Knicks players to watch. He's, he he really is one of my favorites. He's he's a really good player. He's a loyal guy with Portland, and I, I mean, he's basically the face of the franchise over there. He is. And now we got to talk about Utah, too, who elevated to the number two seed in yeah. the West. The Utah Jazz, one of the quietest teams that no one talks about at all. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert leading the way there. And they also got guys like Mike Conley. Joe Ingles have been doing very well for them. Uh, the, uh, the Yeah, the acquisition also of Jordan Clarkson mid midseason. Actually, it's been a nice uh, addition for them, too. It has. Let's take a fresh look around the NBA with the scores right now. At halftime, the game of the night on ESPN, the Miami Heat, who have only lost one game at home all season, taking on Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers. They lead the Clips 65-63. to 63. Kawhi Leonard in this game, just seven points in the first half, two of 11 shooting from the field. Miami has done a great job holding him. Uh, Paul George, of course, not playing. And then for the Miami Heat, leading the way for them is Tyler Hero, who is starting at point guard tonight uh, due to the injury of Kendrick Nunn with 14 points for the Heat in the first half. Starting along with Duncan Robinson, Myers Leonard, Bam Adebayo, and their centerpiece, Jimmy Butler. I'll be honest with you, besides Jimmy Butler, this is a team that consists of under-the-radar role players. There is not a second star. Now you're starting to see... The Miami Heat are a prime example of a team that could win games without a second star. I mean, you can make the argument that Bam Adebayo is starting to become that. He's been he's been doing very he's been very nicely. Right. Uh, good Swiss Army knife does everything for them on the court. Then you got Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, 
three young guys who are good shooters off the bench. Uh, Gordon Dragic also comes off the bench too. Yeah, no, a, a solid roster outside of Jimmy Butler. You can say, yeah, there's not really a true second star. I mean, Bam out of bio eventually. Well, I'll be honest with you. I think it's a combination of everybody mm-hmm. that's filling that second star role. You don't need a second star if you have enough quality. Yeah, because one guys. night, one night it could be right. Kendrick. One night it can be Tyler Hero. You never know. Today they have five uh, people with eight points or more. Yeah, that just goes to show. So the Knicks at home at the Garden, losing to the Raptors, ninety-seven, eighty-nine, the sounds, fourth quarter. Sounds about right. Yep. The Celtics beat the Magic, as we mentioned earlier. The Bucks beat the Hornets. The Rockets are losing to the Timberwolves. What? Wow. Yeah. Uh, not a good night for Houston. The, so the far. Houston's been really. I mean, because it's James, Har- James Harden. I mean, yeah, he's one of the top players, but there's at times with the Rockets that you don't know what you're going to get out of them. Well, I think. They're they're lacking a fifth starter right now. Yeah, it's Ben McLemore, which, quite frankly, is not okay. Is not. Because I forgot he was still. I didn't know he was a rocket. Well, they to be completely honest, demoted Eric Gordon to the bench because that's where he belongs. Because yeah. the man don't play D. Yeah. So I mean, just saying. PJ Tucker just two points all night. You kind of expect that with Tucker, they'll kind of be like a three uh, three and uh, D kind of player. Harden has just six, and Westbrook has taken seventeen shots already. <laughs> with eight and a half to go in the third quarter. So it goes to show you how that game is going. Yeah. They're down by six to the Timbs. Nuggets lead the Pelicans by a slim edge on the road, 70-68. to 68. Phoenix leading San Antonio on the road, 49-37. to 37. Hometown boy Ty Jerome getting some minutes tonight for the Phoenix Suns. I own a prep product out of Westchester, New York. And, of course, the Pacers taking on the Golden State Warriors. Tomorrow, you got Dallas and Utah, Brooklyn at Detroit, and the Lakers at the Sixers, which would be interesting. And then Sunday, Houston at Denver, Nets and the Knicks at the Garden, Clippers at the Magic, Boston at New Orleans, Indiana at Portland. So, we'll quickly run down the standings. Mm -hmm. One through eight in the West, Lakers, Jazz, Clippers, Nuggets, those are your top four, followed by Dallas at the five, Houston down to six, Thunder at the seven, and the Spurs are eighth as they unseated Memphis for that spot yeah. last night. But the two to the four seed is only separated by a game and a half between Utah, L.A., and Denver. Now I'm going to say this. I think the Lakers are set for the one seed. Yeah, there's no question. I don't want to lock them in just yet because the Clippers could emerge on the scene. But um, with the way it seems right now, if I had to predict the way it's going to end, Lakers 1, Clippers 2, Denver 3, Jazz 4, and then Houston and Dallas will fight for the 5 and 6, and then 7 and 8, take your guess. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that one. Yeah. I, I could definitely – maybe you can uh, – Flip the the Jazz and Nuggets to the three and four spots, but I think the one and twos are probably both LA teams. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I just think the Clippers are eventually going to uptick once Paul George comes back, fully healthy. Yeah. So yeah, I think Houston moves up a couple spots. I think they. I think yeah, they can go up to could, the four it or could, five. It could happen, uh, especially with this injury now Dallas is dealing with. But my only thing with Houston is Westbrook. I think is hurting them. He's hurting them more. Yeah been helping them right now he needs to try to find a way to you know get the guys get the team involved but it could happen in the east bucks followed by the heat 
Then the Celtics and the Raptors. Those are your top four. The two through four separated by a game. Pacers at the five seed, followed by the Sixers at the six, who are a game and a half back of Indiana. And then there's a big gap with Orlando at seven, Brooklyn at eight. So, hey, I don't think people thought the Nets would be this low, but they are. Um, they did not look good against the Lakers last night. They don't have uh, the Kyrie Irving they were hoping for right now. And clearly they're missing something. And that something is Kevin Durant. They have to beat the Pistons tomorrow to create some separation. They're coming too close to all those 9 and 10 seed spots. They do. So the, tomorrow is their, is their make or break game, I think. I'd agree. The all-star starters are in. It's Luka Doncic, James Harden, LeBron, AD, and Kawhi for the West. And in the East, we have Trey, Kyrie, the Greek Freak, Siakam, and Embiid. I agree with everything except Kyrie in the East. Um, look, I just don't think he deserves to be starting in that backcourt. Uh, who, sh- who I think should replace him? Well, I think there's a combination of guys you have to throw, as Fonz would say, quote-unquote, in, in, the, the, in, <laughs> in the mix. Um, you know, I think real, realistically, uh, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I think Jimmy Butler is, uh, I believe he's under the backcourt too, I believe, in the, when it was in the ballots, because uh, he can play also the two and the three. Right. But I think as of now, he is in the two. That makes sense here. I mean, overall, with the fan voting, I kind of expected, at least if you want just my opinion on it, it makes yeah. sense with the starting lineups for both. I kind of figured they'd all be correct here. Uh, I know the fans at the time, it was Kyrie over Kemba, but fans is 50, players are 25, and coaches are 25 for the starters at least. Mm-hmm. And then the backups, it's all it's all coaches there on that one. So it makes sense with uh, with Trey Young making it. He's still a great player despite on a bad team, and he definitely this is the first of many All Stars for him. I agree. Since Kyrie came back from injury, the Nets have been doing a lot worse in Phil. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Uh, and of course, we'll talk more about the All Star game as we get closer to the date. But for now, we're going to step aside for another break. When we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more Eli, and we will talk some college hoops. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Now back to Review and Preview on the Wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Fonz DeFalco, Andrew Scarpacci here at LIU Studios on liuwave.org. This is our last show on the Wave before we go Facebook Live exclusive. Quick reminder, you can call in with your questions, thoughts, comments tonight, 516-299-2030, right on cue as Fonz. You will pick that up, and we will transfer them to the line momentarily. But before we get to this, um, Eli Manning, who has been the cornerstone of the Giants franchise for 16 seasons, had a great career, uh, and Fonz, we have a caller? Yes, the call is good to go now, Tom. All right, caller, please state your name and where you are from. Connor Farrell, Holtzville, New York. Connor, how's it going? Great to hear from you. Good, man. Doing well. How about you? How's it up? Good. Doing pretty well. Uh, here, you've been rocking out with the PLL. You've been running a lot of face-off clinics, I've heard. How's that all going? It's great. I'm, I started my own company, so I train almost 
about 70 kids on Long Island. I just got back from Japan about a month ago, which was pretty cool. Got to run a couple of clinics, played in a couple of games over there. Uh, and just busy and working every single day. Coaching at LIU still. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. Assistant coach. Very nice resume, oh, yeah. Connor. <laughs> now, um, of course, if you for those of you that don't know, Connor plays for uh, Chrome of the Premier Lacrosse League. Actually got to see him in action once. Uh, but, Connor, uh, I hear you have a question for me about Eli, right? Yeah. So, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. After his uh, after his 16-season NFL career, what do you think he's going to do? Do you think he's going to hop back with the Giants and help out, or do you think he's going to hang back? Hang back and relax with his family. Uh, that, you know, that's a really good question. Now, of course, you played football as well as lacrosse in college. So obviously, you're yep. a dual athlete. You know uh, what the football aspect is like as well. Um, honestly, he's been going through it for 16 years. I think he wants some family time right now because his kids are young. Uh, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why he's retiring and also yeah. with Daniel Jones stepping in the door. But I think eventually we he might miss the game enough to the point where he will come back and coach. I would prefer to see him come back and coach for the Giants, but I don't necessarily think it's going to happen anytime soon. Connor. Yeah, me too. Uh, you think his little son's going to be uh, Tom Brady's son in the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, if Brady's still around, you never know. I mean, it seems like the guy just keeps going on. Uh, but yeah, no, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It was really a great career for Eli. So, you know, if his son or even Eli Cooper's fan, so son. Had to come and call what was that? As I'm a big Eli fan, so I had to make sure I call in and talk to you about it. Yeah. Now, my question to you, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the resume speaks for itself. Uh, and Carl Banks brought up a really good point, Connor, on first take this morning. Uh, it's more than just the numbers. And you you know this. Uh, yeah. He feared, I mean, guys feared Eli Manning. And Carl Banks knew, like, when he saw a Hall of Fame quarterback. And from when he watched Eli, he saw that in him. And I just think his, it's not just his clutch moments. Uh, and this is an interesting take that I have. Eli should have appeared in three Super Bowls. In 2008, the Giants should have made it. But they didn't. Yeah. They went Started out against out. the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and, Connor, I don't know what the turning point for you was what made him a hall of famer the turning point for me was the second super bowl but like, i've been watching this guy since i was nine years old mm -hmm. i knew he was going to be great week 15 2004 against the pittsburgh steelers they were 12 and 1 at the time the giants lost that game 33 to 30 but this is when we saw the first glimpse of him being able to run that play action bootleg for him to find receivers down the field, and I don't, I don't know about you, but you look at these last three seasons of his career, the Giants made the playoffs four years ago. They were 11-5, and five, McAdoo, who you and I both strongly dislike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Giants went 11-5 and five and made the playoffs, and Eli was good that year. He didn't have to throw the ball as much. Then the next three years came along, 3-13, and 5-11, and 4-12. People are going to make the argument, well, his record is at 500. That's because the Giants failed him. They didn't put enough guys around him, not just players, but coaches. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, – I was watching ESPN this morning. I saw what was it, maybe five quarterbacks 
that are in the Hall of Fame right now who who had under 50% win percentage too. Like yeah. Warren Moon was like 49%, I believe. Yeah, that's that's an insane fact too. So I mean, I really don't think people can use that argument against Eli. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your favorite? Eli Manning moment. If you had to pick one, I know you probably have a lot in your uh, in your mind. But if there was one, what would you say it is? Uh, I, I had a lot. Like, <laughs> I got I was able to work out with him. Yeah. Uh, he went to. I used to do overnight security at his place. But my favorite moment was just watching him in the last game he played against the Dolphins. Then the uh, the legends go out on a high note and a win. Watch him go through the tunnels. It just made me really happy. Yeah, he's a huge fan of Eli. It, it it made you choke up a little bit inside as a fan because you're oh, thinking, yeah. I actually got to work the game. I don't know if I told you that. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, just Pretty seeing awesome. him. Yeah. I mean, it it was insane. So like, it gave me the chills. Uh, <laughs> this is probably the last time we're going to see him. And he brought up an interesting quote today: "Once a giant, only a giant." What do you think yep. about that? Love that. Love it. It's gonna be hard to find another quarterback like that. I love Daniel Jones, but yeah, I don't. I mean, he's the Iron Man too. He uh, he never missed. He never missed a game due to injury. And him yeah. and his wife are gonna stay in the area. He's a true class professional, I think. And mm-hmm. I know one of your buddies, Jake Carlock, got to play with the Giants for a little bit this season. Um, my last question to you, Connor: What do you see in Eli? that you didn't see in other quarterbacks around the league? For example, like Roethlisberger, Rivers, any of those guys that you grew up watching? He, his poise is unbelievable. Like, no matter, no matter the situation, he's always calm and collective. It's really got my attention. I, I love that part about him, especially if you're playing in a big city like New York. He's always nice, calm, collective, and got the job done whenever he needed it. I also think he was never phased by anybody. He he was never yep. intimidated, and he beat the best quarterbacks when he had to. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to make him a Hall of Famer, an all-time great, and a legend forever. So, uh, Connor, any final thoughts for us here before we let you off? No, nah, man, I'm good. Keep, keep killing it on the show. I love it. Thanks, Connor. Thank you so much for calling in, and we hope to – Get you on again soon sometime. Hey, I'm playing on Long uh, Island in the PLL in June. I better see you guys there. Yeah, I'll do my best to make it out. Thank you very much. No problem, man. I'll talk to you later. Take care, Connor. Have a good night. That was Connor Farrell from Holtzville, New York, mm-hmm. out of the Premier Lacrosse League, former LIU Post middle linebacker. Great to have him call in on the show. And he went to Japan, too. Yeah, much you like, went to Japan, too, yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. Much. Uh, I got to ask him. I got to talk to him more about that, where he went <laughs> stuff, too. Yeah, he's been all over the place lately. He's been across the country, um, in Japan. Yeah, that's insane. Um, so, Eli Manning, 16 seasons in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Over 57,000 career passing yards. That's seventh all-time. 366 career passing touchdowns, also seventh all-time. Yeah. A Giants record, 117 quarterback wins. We're going to go down in the list. 125 victories, including the postseason. Mm-hmm. 210 consecutive starts. That's third all-time. 236 regular season games played for the Giants. Two-time Super Bowl MVP. Four-time Pro Bowler. 51 300-plus yard passing games. 42 game-winning drives, including the postseason. 
1,219 passing yards in 2011 in the playoffs. That is the NFL record for most passing yards in a single postseason. Eli is the only quarterback in NFL history with at least 200 consecutive starts, 300 touchdown passes, and two Super Bowl MVPs. He threw at least one touchdown pass to 58 different receivers, only one of five quarterbacks with two-plus Super Bowl MVPs, Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2016, he uh, won the award with Larry Fitzgerald, Mm -hmm. co-winners, 25 million raised as chair of the New York City March for Babies, Red Cross Celebrity Cabinet, Fundraiser for Guide Dogs, Make-A-Wish Supporter, Tackle Kids Cancer Foundation, he donated to all these charities, Classroom Cares Ambassador, signed the locker room wall after beating the Cowboys in their first game at their new stadium (laughs) on September 20th, 2009. Also, not to mention, Eli was never afraid of anybody. Yeah. The top Eli Manning moments for me, his first win in 2004, the touchdown to Amani Toomer against Denver in 2005, comeback against Philly in 2006, down 24-7 to in the fourth quarter. They win it in overtime 30-24, to the Super Bowl in 2007, 12-4, number one seed in the NFC in 2008, 2009 posts the perfect quarterback rating in a game, Turning moment for Eli for me was that game against the Steelers, 33-30 loss in 2004. That's when I knew he was going to be great. Eli played over 5,700 days in the NFL as a New York football giant. He was drafted by San Diego April 24, 2004. John Maris says Eli Manning will be inducted into the Giants' ring of honor and his number 10 jersey will be retired. Expected. Here's some quotes around people from the NFL. His former coach, Tom Coughlin, quoted, Archie and Olivia should be so proud of the son they raised. Your words and actions epitomize who you are as a teammate, as a dad, and as a human being. Thank you for all the joy you've given to everyone you've touched as a New York Giant. Drew Brees goes on to say, You cannot write the story of the NFL without including Eli Manning. Mm -hmm. Quotes from today's retirement speech. I don't have any regrets. For most of my life, people have called me easy. Believe me, there is nothing easy about today. Wellington Marrow once said, once a giant, always a giant. He quoted, for me, it's only a giant. I was eight and a half years old when this guy got drafted, and now I'm sitting here 24 and say this was my quarterback for two-thirds of my life so far. Mm. Some people will, will never understand this. Yeah. A lot of people growing up now will only see the bad years, the decline yeah. from 2013 to 2019. But this man was a huge impact on my life. Yeah. My favorite athlete of all time, and that's why I know we're spending a lot of time on it, but you guys get it. No, I, yeah. I mean, it's just, you got to give the guy respect. He's a true class act, professional. It's insane. Yeah. I love this man. Yeah. He, he's my favorite football player of all time. Yeah. Um, like you said, you know, some people won't understand. Some some people growing up had to deal with multiple quarterbacks. Yeah. Caden went to Cleveland Browns. You've had a like this guy. You've been, you know, a fan of like your whole life, and now you got a new era. But you got to remember the good times that you had with Manning, especially with those two Super Bowls. So, I mean, this is coming from Ravens fan, but uh, congratulations to Eli on a great career. I was a fan of you, I will say, and uh, you know, best of luck to you in the future. I'm not even a Giants fan, but just being a New Yorker and watching him play in that second Super Bowl, and when I was growing up, he was still he was like towards the end of his peak, but he was still just doing things that were great to watch as mm-hmm. like when I was starting to get into football. Yeah. 
that Manningham catch in the Manning second to Manningham. Manning to Manningham. That that throw, I've never seen a throw like like that was the precision pass. And this is what makes Eli so great. His two most clutch throws of his career were to bad NFL receivers. David Tyree had the worst practice of his life yeah. and made the helmet catch. You on know, his he never had a catch after that, by the way. Yeah, that was his last NFL catch. Mario Manningham. Catch down the sideline. He was a mediocre NFL receiver at best. Yeah. The Giants did not have good wide it, receivers. The best they receiver they had, we said, uh, was Plaxico, Hakeem Nix, oh, oh, Steve and, Smith, and, Ode- and Odell. Odell at the tail end of his career. Right, and if you're going to blame Eli for Victor going, Cruz, Victor Cruz, Vic, I put up there. Victor Cruz was good, too. He emerged on the scene late. Mm, very quick. 99-yard touchdown against the Jets. Yeah, it, was, it, it was a quick. That was a quick turn. Let's look at two Super Bowl runs. Eli beat Jeff Garcia. Uh... Then after that, he beat Brett Favre. In Lambeau, in, in the Lambeau, snow. And then he beat the quarterback. Uh, uh, no, that was the, he beat Romo on the way to That's Favre, right, that's what it was. And yeah. then beat Brady. Yeah. Run number two beats Matt Ryan at home, beats Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. I was upstate Lake George watching that game, that great escape. Love that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they beat uh, Alex Smith and the 49ers on the road, and then Brady again. Those two runs, let alone of especially those teams at the time, especially that 49ers team too, the second run. Yeah. On that note, thank you, Eli Manning. Show tonight is dedicated to you. We're going to move on, step aside for our last break of the evening. When we come back, we will wrap it up with some college hoops talk. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. Ten-minute warning here. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Fonz DeFalco, Andrew Scarpacci, here at LIU Studios on liuwave.org, our last show on the wave here tonight. We are Facebook Live exclusive as of next week. Our phone lines are now closed. Our phone lines will be open again next week at 516-299-2030. You can listen to our podcast tonight starting tomorrow morning on anchor.fm slash review and preview if you missed some of our show want to catch what we covered listen to us there all right so tuesday night a big brawl between interstate rivals (laughs) kansas and kansas state this is the first time a team tries to steal a bucket at kansas late in the game the number three team in the nation beats kansas state 81 to 60 it was a blowout so it was kind of unnecessary to go for it a player steals the ball away from kansas tries to get a cheap layup and then silvio de sousa a sophomore who was playing with the walk-ons blocked the shot, starts to fight the guy. Mm-hmm. It starts to go ahead. The band is involved. <laughs> the cheer team's involved. The coaches are involved. Then other players start getting into the – of course, the bench is clear. Mm-hmm. Silvio D'Souza, who's in the mix of the fight, walks away Somehow, yeah. <laughs> about six or eight feet away from the fight, almost ten feet away from the fight to pick up a chair stool and raises it behind his shoulders, up and above his shoulders, and tries to throw it. And then an assistant rips it out of his hand. You see Bill Self in the mix there. Yeah, you like thank God that someone was there to grab it because if no one was there and he even swung it and even though it didn't hit anybody, that could have been. It'd be a different conversation we're having now. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, Silvio de Sousa, uh, probably I don't think he should be seen again this season. But he's yeah. suspended twelve games. Probably uh, will suspended for the rest of the conference play until they, if well, when Kansas reaches the NCAA tournament. But he's done for the rest of the season. I'd agree. And then James Love got eight games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silvio De Sousa was among four players suspended in that game. Uh, another brawl also happened 
last weekend. Sacred Heart at St. Francis, Brooklyn, ended in a brawl. Uh, this is an NEC game. Uh, the player tried to hit a Sacred Heart player, Cameron Parks, not good. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, it, it was an odd weekend in sports, yeah. especially at the NCAA level. Uh, no place or time for that, especially in the sport. Uh, although there is some good things about last weekend. We saw an excellent Big East matchup between Villanova and Butler. Good to see those teams back in the yeah. hunt for the NCAA tournament. Villanova beat Butler 76-61. to Rutgers now a top 25 team. It's insane what they've been able to do this season, just about uh, 40 miles away mm-hmm. in, New- in New Jersey. LIU beat St. Francis, Pennsylvania last night 86-81. to Of course, we broadcast the show here at LIU Studios. And, Andrew, uh, you work for the LIU basketball team. uh, And this sets up a matchup for first place tomorrow between LIU and Robert Morris. Both teams 5-2 right now in the conference, tied for first with the exception of Merrimack as they have the four-year bye. But um, LIU, they they had a rough stretch in their out-of-conference play. They had a lot of tough competition. Came into NEC competition, lost in double overtime to Mount St. Mary's, who are now four and two, right behind LIU, still in the mix there as and as Northeast Conference <laughs> yeah, players Andrew. coming up All and running. Right. I'm teaching them well. <laughs> and um, then LIU goes on a four-game winning streak before losing to Wagner, who's two and five. But then they were down by double digits to Robert Morris towards the end of the second half. Have a great second half. Then you see. Um, then you see, then they are coming closer towards them, and LIU was just able to get a couple great buckets towards the end of the game and get that big win to set up them at five and two and have them tie up with Robert Morris. Yeah, that is an excellent breakdown there. As LIU basketball is back, um, other games to preview tonight: Marquette at number thirteen, Butler. That's another Big East game. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, Marquette leads Butler 30-28 to 28 on the road. So an unranked uh, upset alert here early on against the number 13th-ranked team. Tennessee at number three, Kansas tomorrow. Kansas will take the court for the first time since the brawl, headlining Silvio D'Souza. That name is hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Morris at LIU, as Andrew said. Number 15, Kentucky will take on number 18, Texas Tech. Runner-ups to the national champs in Virginia last year. Number one, Baylor at Florida. Mm-hmm. University of Notre Dame at number five, Florida State. And an interstate rival between number 22, Arizona, with Nico Mannion, the outstanding, talented freshman, yeah. at Arizona State University. Shout-out to my cousin and former LIU intern, Evan Masters, who attends Long Island uh, – ooh, not Long Island uh, – Ari- <laughs> Arizona State University. Good school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that should be an interesting matchup there. And the top ten rankings, Baylor, followed by Gonzaga. Although Baylor was almost upset by Oklahoma yeah, it's on the, Monday night. It's the trend. Uh, we're seeing it's kind of weird in college basketball this year. Every week it feels like a new number one team. Upsets nonstop. I'm telling you, the only undefeated team left is San Diego State. Yeah. Alma mater of Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. 19-0. Uh, They've always been a well-coached team, but let's go through the top ten. Baylor at number one, Gonzaga at number two, Kansas at number three, San Diego State at number four with the Aztecs, number five, Florida State, 
Number six, Louisville, who beat Duke last weekend. Number seven, Dayton. Ouch. <laughs> Shout out to Bonaventure, who plays Dayton the same in the A-10s. Number eight, Duke. Number nine, Villanova. Number 10, Seton Hall. So good to see some Big East teams there climbing the back end of that top 10. San Diego's 20-0 now. Yeah, that's right. They won last night. I think it was last night, yeah. Uh, no, it was not. Uh, they played, I believe, yeah, okay. Um, all right, yeah, so they did. Um, now, another team, too, that's been good this year is Oregon. They've been pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see what comes tournament time. We'll talk about it more uh, as we get closer yeah. to March Madness. And also a great fight last Saturday night featuring Connor McGregor over Cowboy Cerrone, a TKO victory in a match that lasted only 40 seconds, 40, Crazy. 45 seconds. Imagine paying all that money to just have that happen. That's just, I feel like a, a, Rough, that's right? a trend with UFC sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they pay for the big-time matches, and they only last less than a minute. Great to see McGregor back in good form. Um, on that note, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our live show tonight. Of course, thank you again. Tribute to Eli Manning on this show. A reminder that tonight is our last show, or was our last show, on liuwave.org. Oh, yeah. Live shows of review and preview will only be available exclusive on Facebook Live starting next week. Show recordings will continue to be available on anchor.fm slash review and preview after each live recording. Guys, any final thoughts here? Uh, it's been a great run here uh, LI, on LIU The Wave. Uh, again, Tom, great opportunity. Thank you for letting me join on here and looking forward to future opportunities here, working in the future, a new era. Uh, second time on the board here. I'm thinking I did a pretty good job today. So, yeah, like I said, you know, great stuff. We're building something strong here, and I'm excited to see what we have going forward. Stay tuned, everybody, for that. Tonight's production. Andrew, uh, any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, thank Sorry, you for having me uh, on these uh, last three weeks. It's been a great. It's been a great opportunity for me to – get going as a freshman only here and get pro hopefully to get more opportunities along the way. Of course. And thank you all, uh, one and all, watching on Facebook Live as well, and of course our listeners on liuwave.org. Tonight's production assistants were Fonz DeFalco, Kyle Russo, and James Montefusco. On behalf of Fonz DeFalco and Andrew Scarpacci, I'm Tom Scavetta wishing you all a good evening. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good night, everyone. Darling, darling, I'll turn the lights back on now. Watching, watching, as the credits all roll down. Crying, crying, you know we're playing to a full house. House. No heroes, villains, one to blame. While wilted roses fill the stage, and the thrill, the thrill is gone. Our debut was a masterpiece, but in the end for you and me, hope this show, it can't go on. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call, so hold for the applause. Oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. Show. At least we stole the show. At least we stole the show.